Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning for a few moments, we ask that you would cause our soul to be still before you, that we might hear your word in such a way that we would be overcome with your love for us, that we would be amazed by grace, that we would fall on our faces before the cross of Jesus. Do this for the sake of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this morning we're talking about conflict resolution, and we're talking about forgiveness. And I just want to own at the very beginning that I am not going to be able to address all of your stories and all of your situations in a span of 30 minutes or less and cover the entire Bible on what it has to do with conflict resolution and forgiveness. So I just want to recognize that from the beginning. I want to recognize that there is a wide spectrum of conflict that you've experienced in your life, that I've experienced in my life. Uh, Even just yesterday, I can see the short end or one end of the spectrum when I see my four-year-old and my two-year-old get into a conflict on debating of which is a better lunch, corn dogs or grilled cheese. Even to the point where they're yelling at each other in the van as we're driving home for lunch about if they're going to have a corn dog or grilled cheese for lunch. Sometimes conflict occurs simply over a matter of preference. Conflict will also occur between friends. I can remember in eighth grade getting in a fist fight with my best friend over a piece of candy that the girl that we both liked gave to us. You can also see conflict in uh, relationships between roommates. Um, As I got older, after I graduated from college, I had a bromance and I lived with my best friend. And we hung out all the time. And after about two years, we were so sick of each other, we weren't even speaking uh, to each other. Uh, I can tell you that over the course of a few years, we were reconciled to one another. And now he's one of my best friends in ministry, and he's a pastor in Atlanta. You know, so there's a wide spectrum of conflict. That can come from preference. It can come from miscommunication. It can come from competition as your, you know, your Washington Nationals throw beanballs at my Atlanta Braves or my Atlanta Braves throw beanballs at your Washington Nationals. Conflict can occur in competition. Conflict can also be very extreme and very hard in our lives. I just got back from a mission trip to Cambodia and one of the things that the team got to do while we were going around Cambodia was to tour the killing fields. If you know a little bit about the history of Cambodia, you'll realize that from 1975 to 1979, under the leadership of Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge killed almost 2 million of a 7 million population in Cambodia, brutally. We went to one prison, Toll Slang, where it's estimated that as many as 30,000 men, women, and children were tortured and killed or taken out to killing fields. As we were even walking around one of these killing fields listening to an audio tour, we came to one spot, to a tree. As I stood in front of this tree, in my ears I heard the stories about soldiers who would take babies and beat their head against the tree to save a bullet and to throw them in a ditch. There's great conflict in our world. Anywhere from simply a matter of preferences that occurs between a four-year-old and a two-year-old to where people where groups of people kill one another. How on earth can we address all of those stories and situations this morning? I can't, but the Holy Spirit can. And I want to talk about the heart of it in three questions this morning from the text. I want to ask three questions. 
What is forgiveness? Why do we struggle with forgiveness? And then third, where are we going to get the resources or the ability to forgive one another? First question, what is forgiveness? If you looked at the last verse in chapter 18, you would hear Jesus answer Peter's question of, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And the conclusion that Jesus gives is this. You are to forgive your brother from your heart. The challenge to all of us as Christians is to forgive one another from the heart. This is the intended and expected result from reconciliation. So what is forgiveness? Using the language in this parable that Jesus gives us, it means to forgive someone else of a debt that's owed to you. What does it mean? It means to let go. It means to cancel a debt. You see, all of us in this room, whether you would call yourself a Christian, not a Christian, whether you've been raised in the church or not in the church, most of you have some sense of right and wrong. You have some moral code where someone ought not do something to the other person. And when someone violates that moral code against you, it creates a debt. And when they sin against you or do something that violates you, there is an offense. There is a debt that's owed. And you can do one of two things when a debt is owed. You can either make them pay for that debt, or you can forgive them of the debt and you can absorb the cost. Okay, what do I mean by that? If I bring my rambunctious four-year-old and two-year-old over to your house and we're having a nice dinner and you let them up to play early and they go in the living room and they're running around and they accidentally break your antique lamp that's absolutely priceless. Now at that point, the lamp is broken and you can do one of two things. You can either make us pay for the lamp or you can forgive and absorb the cost of the lamp. But anytime there's an offense, there's a cost, there's a debt created, and you can either take that out on someone or you can forgive them. So forgiveness means letting go. It means absorbing the cost, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be just in monetary terms, okay? If you forgive someone, it means that you might lose some of your reputation. It means that you might lose some of your tears. It means that you might lose some friends. So when you forgive someone, there is an actual cost, okay? Forgiveness, letting go. It's really, really important when we talk about forgiveness, especially when I do this in a counseling room in a pastoral context, it's so important to define what forgiveness is not. Okay, let me give you seven quick things. I'm going to hit them real fast, so pay attention, right quickly. Seven things that forgiveness is not, okay? To forgive someone does not mean there is an absence of consequences. You can forgive someone and there can still be consequences. When the Israelites rebelled against God in the wilderness, they suffered the consequence of not being able to enter the promised land even though God had forgiven them. And even Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. You can suffer its consequences and still forgive someone. Brian Chappell 
who many will know his name, author, pastor, theologian. In his book, or in a chapter in a book, in the Gospel of Sinner, he was retelling the story about his brother David, who was jailed for a crime. And while he was in prison, he came to faith in Christ. And writing about his brother, who, came, who became a Christian, he said this. He said, David will be in jail for a long time. He will also be with Jesus, forever forgiven, restored, treasured, and transformed. That is the gospel for my brother and for all who trust in Jesus. You can forgive someone, and it does not mean there's not going to be consequences sometimes. Second thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a minimization of wrong. It's not a denial. It's not excusing what someone else does to you. Excusing implies that it's okay and what you did wasn't really wrong. Forgiveness indicates that real wrong was committed. Third thing, forgiveness is not. It's not just forgetting. We get that confused so many times. To forgive someone does not mean that you can somehow magically erase your memory of all that has been done to you. When God says He forgives all of our sins and He forgets all of our sins, it doesn't mean that God, you know, wipes His omniscience away and somehow no longer remembers our sins. It means that He is no longer going to hold them against us. So forgiving does not mean forgetting. In addition to that, it's not just external. This is what Jesus says to Peter here. He says, forgive from the heart. Sometimes you, sometimes you have to forgive before you ever feel like forgiving. Sometimes you have to go through the conscious motions of forgiving someone before it ever seeps into your heart. Okay? Another thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not always include reconciliation. You know that? You can forgive someone and not necessarily be reconciled to them. I think it's helpful to think about forgiveness in two stages sometimes. You need to cultivate an attitude of forgiveness in your heart. When someone wrongs you, even if they don't come to you and ask for forgiveness, even if they don't express repentance, you still need to work through an attitude of forgiveness in your own heart that leaves you open to reconciliation. If you walk around with unforgiveness in your soul and bitterness in your mind. It's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, as one theologian put it. Second part of that in reconciliation, though, is as you leave yourself open and you understand your story and you look at it, if that person ever does seek reconciliation to you, you can grant Repentance. So sometimes it's two stages. Sometimes you can forgive a person and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be reconciliation unless that other person wants it. Here's something else to remember. It's not a one-time act. It's not one thing that you're going to get to and all of a sudden be able to say, I forgive this person and I've never ever struggled at being angry at them for the rest of my life. You are going to struggle with forgiveness. It is a process. You will have to fight against it. It will be an act of the will forever on this side of heaven. But over the course of time, you will soften and it will have less and less power and control over you. Forgiveness 
It's not a one-time event. It's an act of the will. It's a decision to make. The seventh thing that forgiveness is not, it's not simply a matter of calculation. That's what Peter is doing when he's asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he comes to me to be reconciled? How about seven times? And what he's doing is he's trying to brag about how great he is. Because in Judaism, it would have been considered really generous if you would have forgiven someone for three offenses. And so Peter is saying, I know the average Jew would forgive three times. But Jesus, how about if I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea. You need to forgive 70 times seven. You see, forgiveness is not a matter of calculation. It's like asking, how much should I love my wife or my children? Yes, you should forgive all the time and there's no limits on it. And that's radical and that's hard and I don't want to minimize that. And what does it look like to practically forgive someone in your life? I think there's four commitments that Peacemakers Ministry. Look, if you want a lot, a thorough just book on peacemaking, get The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And he says, when you forgive someone, when they seek reconciliation with you, there should be an evidence of four commitments in your life. One, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not rehearse over and over in my mind how this person has wronged me. Second commitment is this, I will not bring it up and use it for your harm. Third commitment, I will not talk to others about this incident. incident. I will not slander. I will not kill you with my tongue. I will not murder you with my tongue to others if I've really forgiven you. And then I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So what is forgiveness? It's absorbing the cost, okay? Why do we struggle with forgiveness? Three quick answers from this text. The first reason why we struggle with forgiveness is because conflict is real. And you're like, brilliant. Conflict is real. Look at what the first servant was owed by the second servant. It says he owed him, what, a hundred denarii. Probably none of you have any denarii in your pocket, so you have no idea what the equivalent of that is. But if you look down in your study notes, and if your King James Version will tell you it's about 18 cents, If you look in your NIV, it'll tell you about a few dollars. In some other places, it will tell you it's about a day's wages. So if we thought of minimum wage as around $7.25 an hour, if you worked eight hours a day, that'd be $58. And 100 days would be $5,800. All you math majors can check me later. If you made more than $7 an hour, if you doubled that to 15, it means this servant owed $10,000. Now, for most of us in this room, this is a significant sum. When someone wrongs us, it is real. It is significant. Evil and conflict is not an illusion. It's not something just to get over. There's a reality that the Bible affirms that when sin entered the Garden of Eden, when enmity came into perfect shalom, Adam and Eve no longer got along perfectly. Cain and Abel argued as brothers. And all of us experience conflict in our world because sin 
has entered the world. Conflict is real, so it's hard to forgive one another. You see this all the time in movies. Maybe some of you have seen Tyler Perry's movies. Uh, in one of his movies over the last few years called Medea Goes to Jail. In this scene, this minister is challenging inmates to forgive. And one woman asks, how can I forgive my father? You have no idea what he did to me. And another main character was struggling with forgiveness as she had been raped and blamed her friend for not stopping it. How do you not let someone else who has wronged you destroy your life? How do you experience pain and suffering and still love? How do you love a child who's turned their back on you? A friend or a spouse that's betrayed you? You see, conflict is real. And it hurts. And it's not easy to forgive someone. And it doesn't really help us to just say, you know what? Let's just all get along. It's not really a big deal. Now, in some cases, you can overlook offenses. But we don't deny the seriousness of what we do to one another and what's been done to us. When hurt is real, it's not helpful to say it doesn't matter. When a family member has been murdered, when your dad walks out on your mom, when your friends betray you, when that relative abused you, you've been wronged. And to sit here and to tell you just to get over it is empty. Denying sin tells you that you're not supposed to be angry and that's not helpful. Conflict is real. Second reason why it's hard to forgive is this. Debt provides power. What did the first servant do to the second servant? He threw him in prison. You see, if someone owes us, We have great power over them. What does that look like? If your spouse sins against you, you can get historical on them. You take every wrong that they've ever done against you and you put it in your backpack. And whenever you need to bring it out, you bring it out so you can, you know, beat them down with your words so that you can convince them what they need to do. You can use for unforgiveness to have power. You know, another way that it benefits us, it gives us identity. We have power because as long as I don't forgive you, I will feel morally superior to you and I'll feel better about myself. There's great power in unforgiveness in the short term. What's the third reason why unforgiveness is so hard? Because if the servant would have forgiven the other servant, it would have been five to $10,000. There is real cost associated with forgiving someone. That's what happens when two people marry each other. A sinner marries a sinner. And you have to have a commitment to absorb the cost of one another. Do you know that's what happens in a church of roughly 1,500? Do you realize we don't instantly become perfect? When I put on the robe, I know it's impressive. It doesn't make me immediately sanctified. Okay, We are going to sin against one another in this body. We are going to have different preferences. And to forgive one another and to love one another in real tangible ways is to bear the burden of one another and to absorb the wrong of one another. I am not going to be perfect. You are not going to be perfect. And we have to have an attitude 
of willing to absorb the cost of one another. So the third and final question is this. How in the world can we ever do that, Jesus? That should be our response. When Jesus tells us that you are to forgive your brother as I have forgiven you, 70 times 7, if you really understand the radical call that Jesus calls Christians to in forgiving one another, you would ask, how in the world could I possibly forgive someone who has seriously wronged me? The answer lies at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18. You see, it's real easy to tell the characters in the story. The first servant is us, and the second servant is us. And the king is who? The king is God. And the first servant owed the king how much money? He owed him 10,000 talents. Talents is a unit of money. Check my math again. Study Bibles can give different estimates, but a talent was a measure of weight, usually silver, with a typical value of about 75 pounds. So 10,000 talents would equal 750,000 pounds or 350 tons of silver. That's a lot of truckloads of silver. Another way to gauge a contemporary value is that one talent equals 20 years of wages. So the servant owes 10,000 talents. That means 200,000 years of wages. If you conservatively set your income at $10,000 a year, then your debt is $2 billion, with a B, dollars. At $15 an hour, then it would be about $6 billion. Obviously, this first servant owes this king a great debt. And it's almost hyperbole. It's almost a saying that he owes such a great debt to the king that he could never repay it on his own. You know, that's what the Bible tells us. That as much as we have been sinned against by other people, the Bible tells us that the greatest conflict in the universe, the greatest injustice ever is between a holy God and sinful man. We owe God nothing less than our life for the wages of sin is death. We have earned death by our sin. But what does it tell us? That the gift of God is eternal life. You see, you can never ever pay back God by your moral goodness. The only hope that you and I have as sinners is for our debt to be forgiven. But God is just. He's full of grace and love and mercy, but God is just, and so a payment must be made. So what does He do? He sends His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to shed His blood for our sins, to pay the debt that we owe, to pay the debt that we could never possibly pay on ourselves. And so in the Christian economy, we have the resources to have real forgiveness. Do you know why? Because of this. Because for every sin that's ever been committed, punishment will occur. Okay? It means that when someone commits a heinous sin against you, they will either suffer eternally for their sins or... You can place your faith in Jesus Christ and allow Him 
to pay the punishment for your sin. You see, in Christianity, no one ever gets off. Either Jesus pays for the sin or you pay for the sin. And I don't know about you, but I'll take the sacrifice of Jesus for my sin. And as you begin to understand your sin, as you begin to be able to exclaim like Paul exclaimed, that I am the chief among sinners, and grace becomes so big, and that conflict becomes so wide between a holy God and sinful man, you understand that you owe a debt of $6 billion. And to forgive your brother of 10000 is the only proper response. So how do you cultivate forgiveness in your heart? It's going to the cross. It's rehearsing the gospel over and over in your mind. It's looking at the blood of Jesus Christ in such a way that you understand that you're forgiven, that every sin you've ever committed is not only a sin against one another, it's a sin against a holy God. But He has provided a way. As it says, Christ died once for our sins. An innocent person died for those who are guilty. Christ did this to bring you to God. The size of your debt, the knowledge of your sin, will determine how much you can forgive or love people. Forgiven people, forgive. Let me just illustrate this with a final story. Many of you probably know the name Corey Ten Boom. After the Second World War, she was still suffering emotional and physical scars as she was a Jew and she was taken captive by the Nazis. Her sister, Betsy, and her father both died in a concentration camp. But afterwards, Corrie Ten Boom, she felt called to preach forgiveness throughout Europe. She had lost most of her family in concentration camps, and she was sure that she had overcome her own desire for vengeance against the SS troops who had dehumanized her and her loved ones in those camps. So on one occasion, when she was speaking in Europe about forgiveness after the war, outside of church, after the Sunday service, she actually found herself looking hard in the face of an old SS guard. He had watched and sneered at frightened women prisoners as they had been forced to take showers in front of him. Suddenly, for Corey Ten, the memories were there again. The room full of mocking men, the pain and shame of it. And now with the war over, the man had come up to Corey, beaming and bowing politely. How grateful I am for your message, he said, to think, as you say, that he has washed my sins away. He put out his hand to her. It was too much for Corey, and she kept her hand frozen at her side. Forgiveness comes hard for anyone, and it seemed to her outrageous to expect it of her at that time in that situation. She goes on to tell in her book, The Hiding Place, how at that moment, angry and vengeful thoughts boiled through her system and she struggled to raise her hand, but she could not. She felt nothing, no emotion, not the slightest spark of forgiveness. She breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And Corey was touched in that instant by the one who can forgive everyone, everything, because he himself had borne the cost of those actions and the cost of forgiveness on the cross and his own body. She felt the force of her own forgiveness 
and the understanding of that forgiveness and the freedom of being forgiven, she raised her arm and took the hand of the man who had done these unforgettable things to her. Corey would later say, we never touch the ocean of God's love so much as when we love our enemies. It is a joy to accept forgiveness, but it is almost a greater joy to give forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be shocked at what you are calling us to do. That it's easy to love our friends, but you call us to love our enemies. That you call us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Father, help us to see Jesus hanging on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. Help us to know that it was our sin that held him there. Father, show us our sin so that we see our great Savior and his love for us, so that we will bear with one another's burdens, that we as Christians will love each other in such a powerful way that the world will know you by our love for one another. Father, pour out your Spirit and do in our hearts what we cannot do for ourselves. Help us to wonder at the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.